Well, good morning, Sailorville Church. If you would take a copy of, uh, that is, if you have a copy of Scripture with you, you can find Philippians chapter 3. We'll pick it up where we left off in verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, the joyful life, and the sermon titled, Pressing On. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love that line. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When I was dating my wife, Marilyn, soon to be my wife, I was trying to make an impression on her oldest son, soon to be my son. Uh, He was in a Christian high school, and I was going to be preaching at their sports banquet. So I said, hey, if you know Nathan, he's not a man of many words. Say, hey, say, hey, Nathan, I'm preaching at the sports banquet. You, you got any ideas for me? I'll never forget. In fact, I asked him the other day if he remembered, you know, 20-something. He remembers exactly what he said. He goes, just don't preach that run to race sermon. We've heard that like three times already. Well, this passage of Scripture is not the run the race passage that he was referring to, but of the several sport metaphors that the Apostle Paul uses, this is his favorite. And it's used here as a metaphor for the believer's pursuit of the ultimate prize, which the text tells us is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that is ultimate Christ-likeness, which we will meet ultimately in heaven But between now and then, we ought to be looking a little bit more like him all the time. Now, Paul is assuming in this passage, he's assuming you've already entered that race. You've already entered that race through faith in Jesus. You've already placed your faith in Jesus, but I know better because several of you haven't. And the only thing you need to hear is you need to get into the race. And the only way you're going to do that is by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus who died and rose for you. But assuming for the moment that everyone else has, the race toward the ultimate prize requires several things that this text gives us. And the first one is, I'm going to call it divine dissatisfaction. And you notice what Paul says, not that I've already obtained this. I'm not there. I haven't arrived. And you can imagine what these Philippians were thinking. If you've been with us in our series, the first 11 verses, Paul says, you know, I mean, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was doing all this kind of stuff, going ahead of everybody. But the things I counted gain to me, these were lost for the sake of Christ. I counted them as dung. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want, to know the, I want to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be made like him in his death. And you can imagine these Philippians hearing this from Paul thinking, jeez, Paul, you're like perfect. And so Paul is anticipating that. He says, no, 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 you're, you're missing it. 
I'm just like you. I haven't attained. I'm not there. I haven't arrived. There's no such thing as a Christian nirvana. We don't arrive on this side of eternity ever. There's no such thing as a state of perfection. And while I think almost everybody here would agree with that statement, some of you don't live it. You act like you've arrived because you ha- you've, been st- you've been stymied and stagnated in your Christian growth. I remember talking to a deacon in the church that I used to pastor, and, and we were talking one day, and we'd seen many people come to Christ, and he goes, you know, he says, you need to concentrate on those new Christians because, you know, I myself, I, gr- I did all my growing under, and he mentioned the former pastor's name. And I'm walking away going, I think he just told me he quit growing. And he really had. He'd become, he, I think he did love the Lord, but he'd fallen into this legalistic system of obeying all these list of rules and regulations. Once he checked them off, he was just fine. He had no divine dissatisfaction. He was stymied in his growth for the Lord. And then I come here 20 years ago, and I discover the same thing in several people's lives. Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. My divine dissatisfaction lies in the fact that Christ prized me. I press toward the prize because Jesus has made me his prize. That's a divine dissatisfaction. That's what it takes. In other words, I want to make the transformation at glorification Less and less radical by the time I get there. Don't you? That takes a divine sense of dissatisfaction. I've not arrived. I've got to keep going. I've got to keep growing. The motivation for ongoing spiritual growth has always been the love of Jesus. That's why Paul says the love of Christ constrains me. It, it, It drives me. It compels me. And it should you as well. And me. So divine dissatisfaction and then divine disregard. This is where we get into the gut of the passage. He says in the middle of verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Have you ever noticed that the great athletes, I mean the really great athletes, they've got this whole principle of the one thing down to a T. Have you noticed that? Great followers of Christ do too. But you need a kind of disregard within you to keep going forward. This one thing I do, not four things I try. Forgetting what is, what lies behind. Have you ever heard Tom Brady talk about his Super Bowl two and three victories? Never. But neither do you hear him talking about the ones that got away, like last year's Super Bowl. He's like a laser beam, forgetting the things that are behind. That's what he does. And by the way, forgetting, now listen carefully, forgetting involves both your accomplishments, which Paul listed earlier here, and your failures. Any sports, anybody been around for any time here at Sayreville, you know that I'm a big Colts fan. I liked the Colts when they were the Baltimore Colts. I know. That's a long time ago. I grew up with them. Old Johnny U, old number 19. 
great, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I remember following him when I was a little 12-year-old boy in 1970 when he was, they were, he was leading him to the Super Bowl. And a game against the Chicago Bears, he threw five interceptions. By the way, that's not good. After three of them, they were down 17 nothing. But can you believe it? Five interceptions. He led them back and won the game. And the announcer during the game said this, and I quote, the difference between good and great quarterbacks starts with total amnesia, unquote. He went on to say, when Unitas would run back out on the field, you couldn't tell by looking at him whether he'd just thrown a touchdown or just thrown an interception. He was that locked in. Here's the principle I want you to grab a hold of. Concentration on the past is the momentum killer of the present. Concentration on the past is your momentum killer in the present. In 1954, yes, long before my time, Great Britain had a great runner. His name was Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister is renowned for breaking the ceiling for the guy who broke the four-minute mile. Nobody. In fact, it was thought you would die if you ever ran faster than four minutes. Now it's the standard for all milers. But in 1954, May 6, 1954, he broke, set a new world record, ran the mile in under four minutes. But the glory didn't last long. A month later, an Aussie by the name of John Landy broke that record. See what competition does? So it set up the most anticipated race in history, and some think the greatest race of all time. It was called, they called it the Miracle Mile. They met in August, just six weeks later, in Vancouver, Canada. The place was packed. The noise was deafening. As these two runners with others, these two premier greatest racers in the world were head-to-head. Landy, as was his way of doing it, took off, ran fast and hard from the beginning, trying to get some distance, tried to create discouragement and, and banister. And it nearly worked. But you know you got to go around that track four times. Bannister ran faster himself just to keep Landy in his sights. By the time the last lap occurred, Bannister had closed the gap to five yards. Then, with just a quarter mile left, Bannister caught Landy. Landy could not hear the footfall of Bannister, and so just as Bannister was getting ready to pass him when he was neck and neck with him, Landy actually looked the other way and broke his concentration. In fact, Life Magazine caught a, caught a picture of it at the exact time it took place. There it is. And Bannister blew by him, broke the four-minute mark again, and won. Do you know they even have a statue outside of the arena? How would you like to look at that thing all the time? <laughs> Depicting the moment. Crazy. Listen. Concentration on the past is the momentum killer of the present. 
That's why Jesus said in Luke's gospel, remember he said, he said, remember Lot's wife. Why? What did she do? Look back. Jesus said in that same gospel, no man who puts his hand to the plow and what? And what? Looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Just the other day, someone on our staff received a, um, an email from somebody who was formerly a member of this church but has gone on to ministry, serving the Lord. He's even become a writer. And he wrote us an email, he wrote the staff member an email, and listed all the people that came to his mind that have come out of this church, Sailorville Church, over the last 20 years into full-time ministry or missions. I read it. It was unbelievably encouraged. He only got about a quarter of them. But believe you me, I'm reading that. My heart is swelling, and I'm humbled at the same time. I'm super encouraged. I thought of what the psalmist said. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You've read that, haven't you? Forget not all his benefits. But remembering what God has done for you, the promises he's given to you, how he's rescued you, how he's blessed you, how he has helped you when times were hard. That's one thing, and a necessary thing, and we're reminded in Scripture to do that. But constantly remembering your own victories as well as your defeats will stymie your progress in your walk with God because concentration on the past is the momentum killer of the present. And when it comes to praise, I don't know who said it, but you ought to ch- just treat praise like chewing gum. You can chew on it for a while, but pff, make sure you spit it out. because It's not going to do you any good. And that's going to require a sort of divine disregard. Forgetting those things which are behind, which lie behind. The third thing I see here is divine determination. He says, forgetting those things which are behind in the middle of verse 13, end of verse 13, and straining, and the Greek word carries the idea of stretching. Some of your Bibles may actually translate that. Carries the idea of having these sinews, these nerve endings stretched out. It's picturing a runner. Straining or stretching forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word picture is powerful, isn't it? And it's obvious. And the Greek tenses add to the strain and the concentration of reaching the tape first. That's the picture here. The word press is, a, is an aggressive word. It's a militaristic word. It, it's, a, it's a word which means literally to fight, to pursue that animal that you're after, or in this case, the person who's in front of you on the track. And Paul's writings are consistent with this kind of determination, aren't they? Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is never in vain when it's in the Lord, right? Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, fight the good fight, finish the race, lay hold of eternal life. You just get that divine determination. And when he, lasted, when he wrote his last will and testament to that same Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 4, or rather the second book in chapter 4 and verse 7, he said, I have, past tense, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I've left it all out there. There's nothing left. That's what he's saying. That takes divine determination. And that's why I want you to see, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to be able to, to have seen that famous race between Bannister and Landy? It's actually recorded. Though 1954, it's recorded. And what I want you to see, if you watch closely, you'll see that little hesitation that Landy has where Bannister breaks by him. But what I really want you to notice is what happens once Bannister breaks the tape. Take a look. You see the hesitation? Now watch what happens when he finishes. If we let the video go on, they literally show them carrying him around. There's nothing left. He'd laid it all on the track. Oh, by the way, I've watched this extended different, and what's Landy doing? The guy who got passed up, you know what he's doing when he crosses? He's walking around, talking to people. I'm not saying he wasn't tired, but he didn't exhaust himself either. Not as Bannister did. Such determination is what God has called divine determination, I might add. Is that yours? Are you going for this prize that Paul talks about, the upward call, the ultimate Christ-likeness? It's going to take divine determination. And finally, it's going to take divine discipline. I didn't read the 15th and 16th verses at the beginning. I give them to you now. Let those of us, Paul writes, who are mature, complete, perfect, the idea is maturity, think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us, notice how Paul includes himself in this. He's not just preaching to him, he's preaching to himself. No good preacher preaches to his audience without first preaching to himself. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So why this appeal suddenly to the mature? Well, the answer is because not everybody's mature. And those who aren't, those of you who are not mature, you're not maturing, you simply don't think this way. Spiritual maturity is marked by those who are constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly changing, constantly being stretched, constantly leaning toward that tape because you don't know when you're going to break that tape, right? Let us, let us, he says, hold true to what we've already attained. And so Paul is saying again, I haven't arrived Of all the saints of Sailorville who've gone before us, the one I miss the most is Ellen Ober. That's our Dick Ober's mother. She lived into her 90s. She was a godly woman. She led scores of people to Christ, discipled women, including my first wife. And even in her 90s, it was almost weekly that she would come through that line. She'd have her notes in her hand, and she would say things to me. She'd say, oh, pastor, I need to continue to grow. I got to apply this. This was so convicting to me. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. 
You're a saint. Of course, everybody knows Jesus is a saint, but she was a saint. But that saintly woman had divine discipline to keep going and keep growing. Paul says, you think differently about this? God will show you. Every point, if you'll notice, every point in this sermon, I've, I've started with the adjective divine. Divine dissatisfaction. Divine disregard. Divine determination. And now divine discipline. Because without his help, all this is is behavior modification. Which is the way some of you have lived your Christian life. But Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Say it again. Nothing. It takes divine discipline to pursue the upward prize. And, you know, if you'll indulge me at the mixing of metaphors, I was, when I was thinking about this, I was a wrestler, greatest sport of all time. And uh, as a wrestler, I wasn't a great wrestler. I was a good wrestler, not a great wrestler. But it occurred to me that I never lost an overtime match. I never, ever lost an overtime match. And what hit me was, it wasn't because I was always the better wrestler, but I was almost always the better conditioned one because the coach saw to it that I was. And our divine coach is calling us to this kind of discipline that we can move if God gives us an overtime, so to speak. Because we don't know if he will or won't. Paul says the last word is the word attained. Only let us hold true. That is true to this, to what, until, to what we have attained. He's still on the image of the race. That's still the metaphor on his mind. The idea here is the distance, listen to this, the distance you have already come in the race. You're in the race. And Paul is saying, this is no time to lay down. The finish line is in sight. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep confessing your sin and and praying for protection over your temptations. Keep pressing on. No matter where you're at on the track, listen to this, no matter where you are at on the track, just out of the blocks, like some of you who have just come to know Jesus, just circle in the corner where some of you are at right now, or if you're just reaching toward the tape, you're at the end of the line. And, you, and none of us know we might be there. Discipline yourself. That's what he's saying here. Why? Because you won't keep pace on yesterday's grace. That's why. You won't keep pace on yesterday's grace. I don't care how good a time you had in God's word yesterday. It won't do for today. Yesterday's bread is moldy today, spiritually speaking. And it's no secret that I won't, and I I have made a commitment. I haven't done it for 30-some years. I won't leave the house. It's not legalistic to me that I won't leave the house without reading the Word. I just know how desperate I am for God. And I know who I am. I know what I could be. I know what might happen if I'm not... Discipline, divinely so, to be surrendered to him. Divine discipline says, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Oh, bless me. 
Now, my Savior, I trust in thee. That's what divine discipline says. And I would just say this in conclusion. The key to forgetting what's behind you will always be the focus that's before you. Just think on this for a little bit. The key to forgetting what's behind you will always be the focus that's before you, that's in front of you. The tape, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we're supposed to have. I got with a couple recently, and I pulled out my iPad, and I had a little word. It was, I had it so tiny. I said, can you read that? They were sitting across the room. They go, how can we? It's too tiny. I said, oh, yes, it is. And so I started hitting the plus button, and it just grew. It was the word forget. It was the word forget. And I said, I know that you have a very hard past. I know that you have sinned greatly, but you've sought God's forgiveness, and you have extended forgiveness to one another. And now as you progress in the Lord, I start hitting the minus button. That, that forget got so small again, they couldn't see it. And that's the point. If you pursue the goal, it's not like God allows you to have some mental gymnastics. I've done some horrible things in my life. And are they in my memory? Yeah, I guess they are. But I don't think about them. Because that's not where my focus is nor should it be yours. Your past is your story. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. It's your story. You can't do anything about it. It's your story. But your past was never meant to be a ball and chain you drag around with you. God has never intended it to be that way. You say, I know, but it just always seems to be there. Listen, the key to forgetting, seeing that time, that moment, that sin, that hurt, whatever it is, shrink, is pressing, pressing, pressing on in Christ Jesus toward that upward call. Are you still being held captive by sins that have been forgiven? Hurts in the past, failures, or victories. Forget those things which are behind. Reach forth, strain toward those things which are before, and press on toward the high calling of God, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. When David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, was on his way over there, he said these words. He said, I am willing to go anywhere, provided it's forward. Which way are you heading? Right now. Which way are you heading? Are you stymied? 
Are you backpedaling? Or are you pressing on? God in heaven, thank you for this time in this great passage of Scripture that challenges us who know Jesus. And so, Lord, I quickly think of those who don't in this room. They've never entered the race. You're still lost in your sins. Run. You can't even stand. Not without the cross. Not without what Jesus has done for you. He died and rose again, and you must receive him to enter the race, and I pray that you would. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd be saved. But God, I pray for the followers of Jesus here that there would be a spirit of, God, forgive me for my stagnation. Forgive me for my laziness. Give me a sense of divine dissatisfaction and disregard of determination and discipline to pursue the upward call of Christ's likeness until I see him as he is. Is that your prayer? May it be true. In Jesus' name, amen.